0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, January 15th, 2021. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So uh we just closed our our February issue. Uh, articles will be up presently uh with a blockbuster lead article by Brett Stevens called Memo to President Biden, please don't mess up the Abraham Accords, which goes into the the history uh of American uh efforts to uh pacify the cold and often hot war between Israel and its Arab neighbors and uh, how everything has changed and the ways in which the behavior of the Biden administration could both uh, either help uh, with the further implementation of the accords or completely screw it up. And so that is the subject of the piece. Interestingly enough, another piece in the same issue, kind of a remarkable story by Ruth Weiss, our longtime contributor, former a uh, retired professor of Yiddish literature at Harvard <coughs> called a tale of five Blinkens uh, incoming secretary of state. Uh, Anthony Blinken is the um, uh, great grandson of a notable Yiddish writer of the uh, late 19th, early 20th centuries. Uh, and Ruth goes into the story of the journey of, uh, of this uh, notable family from this, uh, Yiddish writer to having a, a scion who becomes secretary of state and uh, what this journey means um, in, both in the American context and the Jewish context. Uh, it's uh, the sort of thing that only she could write and it's um, it's pretty striking. We'll have a lot of other stuff to roll to tell you about rolling out over the course of the next week, but today I guess we should talk about Joe Biden uh, announcing last night his um, gigantic, I guess another two trillion dollar plan uh, to combat uh, the economic dislocation of the coronavirus and to deal with the virus itself. Christine, uh, Joe Biden said that it is his goal to make sure that there are a hundred vaccines. Uh, you know administered in a hundred days. Hundred million?
1: Hundred million, million vaccines, 100
0: excuse me, in a hundred days.
1: Um, so I, I just have to have, can I do my quick overreaction to these 100 days things, which I have sure. long hated, regardless of whether it's a Democrat or Republican making this gimmick, um, particularly at a time when our news cycles are like, tw- make 24 hours feel like 24 years, are are actually uh, condescending at this point. And so I it, if he if he had a reason for the 100 million number that was based in public health and science, I would love to hear it. But it's clear very clearly a kind of branding of his first 100 days that I think particularly given the, the sort of state of this country right now, is, isn't impressive. I mean, I, I we should absolutely be vaccinating as quickly as possible. And if we want an example of how to do it, we should be talking about what Israel has done, a remarkable uh, achievement in vaccinating its population, and how we can do something similar. Um, I hate those gimmicks. So that that's just a personal uh, reaction I always have to the 100 days stuff, because I think it also puts um, Congress in a position that's instantly reactionary because a lot of this stuff is going to you know, require all kinds of reconciliation and discussion. And and I don't think it's a good way to start one's presidency. That being said, I'm glad he brought this out now and that he's, he's clearly going to get out ahead of his inauguration speech, which will likely focus on unity and bringing the country together. Um The numbers are huge. I mean, if you add all the relief packages we've already uh, had in this country, it's going to be it's massive. It's the biggest uh, relief package I think ever uh, passed um, if it gets passed. So you have Marco Rubio and a few other senators already going, "Eh, it's too much money. Um, But I do wish that he had focused more on how he's actually going to get those 100 million vaccinated. Who, how, what is it that the federal government can do to make sure local public health officials get those vaccines in people's arms? Because we've, for the last few weeks, seen many stories of vaccinations being uh, thrown out because people don't show up for their appointments and public health officials kind of flailing on the ground in getting these vaccines into people. So we'll see. I'm skeptical. And I hate the 100 days gimmick and the 100 million gimmick.
0: Hey, <laughs> you, you pointed out just before that, uh, according to the stats, we have <clears throat> 12 million vaccines have been uh, administered uh i guess in the months since since uh the vaccines were approved for for use um and obviously if that were the pace from now until through the three and a half months of the hundred days that would be horrific because it would only mean that we would get like 40 million doses uh, into people's arms along with the uh, along with the 12 million. That said, I, I, I don't know. Uh, we should have a, a lo- longer conversation about this now. Um, it seems bizarrely uh, unambitious to me. And that's, I think, Christine's mentioning of the 100 days as a gimmick. And so you have 100 million in 100 days. I mean, what does the 100 days have to do with anything and why that's just a slogan, 100 million in 100 days? It could, why Why, you know... What if it's 92 million in 100 days or it's 124 million in 100 days? And maybe it would be wise for the President of the United States to say we're going to get 200 million doses in people's arms in 100 days. Because even if we didn't make it there, if that were the – if the expectation were for a mobilization the likes of which we've never seen before to get this into people's arms so that we can move beyond this period – at least as a goal, as a, as a, as a thing to be sought, you know, who cares whether or not he in a hundred days can have Republicans saying, Oh, we said we could get 200 million doses, but we only have a hundred million. So he doesn't know what he's doing. Um, shouldn't that, shouldn't it be more important for him to um, light a fire under this process rather than to sort of like be able to say, ah, you see, I said hundred million in a hundred days and we did it.
2: Woo. Yeah, this is far more about the slogan than about um uh, the the science or the technology. There's every reason to believe that the pace will pick up um uh, starting now. I mean, the pace has picked up. We're at 12 million now and like a week ago we were like at 4 or 5 million. I mean, so it's it's a the su- the supplies are coming out more. The the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is is probably going to be out by the end of the month, maybe early February, the latest. I think um, that's a one shot deal. That's going to, that's going to change things. There are more vaccines coming online. Um, the States that like New York that have screwed up with their eligibility restrictions are, are loosening them because they realized that that was um, hampering the vaccination process. So it, things have ramped up, have sped up and they will continue to speed up. So He's—he's that's—that's almost like a um a sort of a a simple statistical prediction of of where we would be anyway. Um, that is, I don't you know, there's I don't see what what added benefit he's bringing to to the to the current um situation.
0: Right, Noah, you you think I'm being unfair? I believe slightly. Yeah, um, (laughs) I think there's room to
3: criticize Biden here, but I don't think we're taking the right angle with it. Um the vaccine distribution plan as we as we've seen it in this country has, has generally failed but it's at a state level. Um, we, this country uh, as Abe said has administered is, is ramping up the administration 12 million doses which far outpaces per capita any other country on the planet. seven day rolling average according to our world and data uh, based on yesterday now the UK didn't report and it's it's up there. Um, but the United States administered over the last seven days, Um, roughly 750,000 doses the next um, comparable country. Again, the UK didn't report and they'd be higher, but Italy is next with 78,000, way down there. Um, We're outpacing every other nation, with the exception of China, which has fallen off a cliff because we've just recently learned that China's vaccine doesn't actually work. Um, At the state level, the top states... Uh, administering a percentage of their population receiving their first dose are West Virginia, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Alaska, which tells you a little bit about how state governments matter here. So if we're going to criticize Joe Biden, and I think there's room to criticize him, it is um, that his distribution plan, if we want to ramp up distribution, and 100 million doses in the space of 100 days would be a marvel, a, a technological and logistical feat that we shouldn't underplay just because we want it to have happened yesterday and maybe it could have been sped up, but that's hindsight. Um, Where the criticism of Joe Biden is relevant, I think, is insofar as he is not focused on the states that are really dropping the ball on this thing, like New York, like California, where their schedule is um so inviolable set in stone and has not been working and state level governments in Sacramento and Albany have been loath to revisit this schedule and uh, re-examine some of the assumptions that went into it, which are obviously um, poorly serving their state residents that Biden should be leaning very heavily on his fellow Democrats uh, at the executive level at the states and we understand why he's loath to do that because it's politically inconvenient, but that's where the problem is the logistics seem to be, in place it's bureaucratic and administrative uh a sclerotic bureaucracy in these state levels that's the, the problem here
1: well, we know this because people, I mean, here in D.C., where they were being uh, allowing appointments for people who were only on, you know, whatever uh, order of priority, um, they were finding that people were not showing up for those appointments. And so there were extra doses which have to be thrown out at the end of the day if they're not injected because they've been thawed. People heard this rumor and are lining up around the street corners, you know, and into these uh, grocery store pharmacies that are administering them, like the Safeway and the Giant, hoping that instead of throwing them out, there'll be there, there'll be a handful of people who get that, that the leftover doses for the people who didn't show up. So you even have this public eagerness to I mean, people are standing in line for hours in the just in the hope of getting the vaccine, instead of throwing it away. So you have a very high, you have a high public demand, and and the bureaucratic incompetence, and you can see it like I'd be more concerned if people were there are obviously some people who are wary of getting the vaccine, but people want it. So these the, it makes the incompetence and the throwing away of of vaccines even more egregious at the state level and the local level.
0: Um. So uh, maybe it's the case that it would be a marvel beyond measure to get a hundred million doses and arms in a hundred in a hundred days. I, I'm. I and I understand. I mean, part of this, you know, the blame would have to be laid at the at the current, obviously not at Joe Biden's feet, at the current administration and its. Uh, Brilliance in handling uh, Operation Warp Speed because that was basically throwing money at private companies and saying, you know, here we're going to buy whatever you make, go to it, and they developed these these vaccines. I think, as 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 Abe said, the Johnson Johnson vaccine would be the third uh, to be approved and administered, and is uh, particularly of interest because it doesn't require two shots. The Moderna is two shots in four weeks the Pfizer is two shots over three weeks um but Johnson Johnson is one dose and you're done um and that's just astonishing but that somehow uh the the fact is that a, a plan for the logistics of the rollout um having a conservative administration say the states need to do this is great and it's true the states should do this um But if there's no uh, uh, sort of like, because of the breakdown, the partisan breakdown and the uh, negative polarization breakdown and all that, the fact that it was impossible for the 50 governors and the federal government to have any kind of common cause in ensuring that, you know, if you needed this kind of refrigerator in this kind of area, that there was a single person to call at HHS who was going to do X, Y, and Z. And clearly that stuff really didn't happen because everybody was dealing with Mad King George, uh, and his shifting, uh, his shifting set of, uh, calculuses and biases and all of that in relation to this. Uh, so I don't blame Biden for that. I just think that, uh, that, you know, not to, not to, you know, talk about how, you know, we, we built an entire, uh, (coughs) you know, military in a year, um after world war ii as your example but i mean you know we are talking about trillions of dollars are being at least a trillion dollars is being going to be thrown at this if this bill gets passed or if at least the relief the the virus part gets passed next week or something by the by the new congress and we should get to that too um that's an astonishing amount of money to throw at something and that you know and we do it in part even though we know that throwing money at things leads to fraud and and theft and uh you know misappropriation and all that we do that because uh they because it's a trade-off that we're willing to accept for the kind of results that i think that we we need and i mean the
3: results that we want to get is
0: basically the israel model
3: which is just to vaccinate everybody and anybody as fast as humanly possible regardless of what the categories of people that you're vaccinating are what their demographics are what their what their risk level is what their employment status is um just to focus on our part of the world, as of the, what's today, the 15th. So as of Wednesday, the CDC reported that across the country, only 35% of initial doses had been administered of the right. 25.5 million doses nationwide. Um, in New Jersey, it's about the same rate. 35% of their vaccines have been that have been distributed have been injected into someone's arm. In New York State, it's 41%. And these governors are saying, we don't have enough vaccine. We haven't gotten anything from the federal government. Our our supplies are completely depleted. I mean, that's just genuinely not the case. In in places like Denmark, I think it is, they genuinely have no more vaccine. They're
0: just out. No, there are individual sites where they've run out of vaccine. I mean, I've heard, I don't want to mention, like in New York City, there are two places that supposedly ran out of vaccine. But that's the whole point, is that 65% of the vaccines that have been distributed have not been administered, and why? Because of the right. Go ahead.
3: The schedule, because and they're gradually coming to, around to that understanding. Andrew Cuomo last week said, "Okay," acceded to the demands of, of Bill De Blasio, who said, "Just open it up to everybody over seventy-five, regardless, um, and you know include teachers and first responders in there too, just to make it you know socially acceptable to the the progressive left." But just open it up, and Andrew Cuomo was very resistant to that, and finally got around to doing it. So they sort of understand that the schedule has failed, but they're they're going to dismantle the schedule in stages when it should just be thrown out and no one well, can convince
2: well, them to do Israel, that.
0: Right? Israel, Israel has stages. It's just the stages were totally age-based, period. It was like 85, 75, 65, 55, 45. They're now down to people 45 and over. Next week it'll be 35 and all that. Here we had these logistical formulas, this idea of, you know, uh, the preferential treatment of 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 medical workers and first responders, which is um which was understandable, except you know it would have been better for them and everybody else if they were just there on the list, right? they they can be part of the first wave, and the other first wave will be everybody over eighty five or seventy five or six. so they'll they'll get it when they get it. You know that that was part of the mania of this, uh, you know, public health, The world of public health, which will face a reckoning over the next year or two, in which this uh, sociology of health came to play a role when it should have not done so, because there's no science to it, there's no formula to it, there's nothing. The only science we know is that the disease hits people harder as they get older, and therefore the first people who should have gotten the vaccine are people who are old, Right, that that was the only thing that we knew, and instead it was like, no, no, we need to make sure that everybody who does X, Y, and Z because of this, for blah blah, and then what about black people? What about this people? What about that? And this is not the way, you know. Epidemi, actual epidemiology said you give it to the people who are most at risk, and we know who those are. And as it happens, by the way, they're not healthcare workers and they're not first responders, even though those people are more in proximity to the virus than other people are. And it's understandable that they may get sickened, you know, at a disproportionate rate, but they are not the ones who are most at risk. And we allowed this horrible set of soothsaying, you know, uh, Bartholomew and the oobleck, uh magicians to take over the way we thought about this until finally we had a month of incompetence that has now led to the breakdown of all of that so that in New York now, everybody over 65 can get a shot. Imagine what it would have been like here if everybody over 65 could have gotten a shot beginning in the middle of December. We would have had 75% or 80% of those viruses distributed would have already been uh, delivered into people's arms. And as it is, there aren't enough sites because of this bizarre... Totalitarian, top-down, wanting to control everything, behavior of Cuomo. They didn't open enough sites, and so you know the sites are running out of appointment times. Can I tell you my quick story about how I got my parents vaccinated, and then we'll then we'll then we'll read the first. So here's how I got my parents vaccinated. My parents are ninety, about to be ninety. My father's about to be ninety-one on Saturday. You can wish him a happy birthday. My mother's ninety-three. Um, uh, they were not uh they were not permitted to seek uh a vaccine until uh, the end of the I guess it was last week on Friday a week ago that it was announced that on Monday it would be open to people who were over seventy five but only on Monday. So I went to the registration site and I registered them for an appointment on Tuesday. Uh, the registration site did not require me to prove uh age or anything like that. That was something that happens at the site when you get there. So I just went and I registered them, and then I was, of course nervous that there would be some kind of bureaucratic Kafka nightmare on Tuesday when they showed up, and it was like, well, you made an appointment on 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 Saturday morning, but you weren't eligible then to get the vaccine only you could only start registering on monday morning so we can't allow you to have the appointment as it happened it went through like clockwork but by monday at 8 30 is when the registration opened by monday at noon at the sites in new york city there are no appointments left anywhere why? Because there aren't enough sites. It's not that there's not enough vaccine. There aren't enough sites. So, you know, that's what I'm talking about when, when I say I think that there's something unambitious. It is precisely because Biden and people like don't want to confront the political reality of the misbehavior of local politicians. And particularly in Democratic, you know, New York and uh, California, the two largest states in the union are the ones that are mishandling this the worst. California has close to, I think, what is it, 16% of the population, uh, 12% of the population of the entire country lives in California. I hope Gavin Newsom is recalled for his conduct here. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, th- this is an enormous uh, failure uh, on his part. Um Hey, guys, you know, we're talking about Israel and its success in vaccinating, and that's why I've been telling you this. Go to your Apple podcast, go to Google Play, go to Stitcher, and subscribe to Dan Senor's Post-Corona, the podcast that tries to examine what life is going to be like once we get through the virus. Dan's uh, Dan has a fantastic podcast up right now his new one which is about israel and its success in vaccinating it's uh i told you about it the other day it's fantastic he talks to uh, yonatan adiri um uh who is a uh israeli healthcare guru uh entrepreneur Um, who tries to explain what it is that Israel did and how it got itself into this position where, as he says in an almost, uh, you know, like uh, head shaking manner, that uh, for Israelis, it is almost as though the coronavirus, the COVID period is in the rearview mirror. They are seeing 100% vaccination by, uh, by the middle of the spring. And then they will be done. How did they do it? How did it happen? What are the lessons for the United States? You can find that out by going to your Apple podcast or Google Play or Stitcher subscriptions and subscribing to Dan Senor's Post Corona. That's S-E-N-O-R, Post Corona. Do it today. Um, speaking of Andrew Cuomo, uh, uh, something really disgusting happened uh, yesterday that I wanted to uh, bring up. Janice Dean, who is a meteorologist uh, on Fox, has been there for you know twenty years and is a uh, someone I've met is a very nice and pleasant woman and not not part of her not part of Fox's you know uh, political crew. She's the meteorologist on the morning show. Um, has has become an act and uh, a sort of a, a, a COVID activist because her in laws, both her in laws, died in the spring uh, from. From COVID, as part of the populations that were sent back to nursing homes, and they died in nursing homes because of the Andrew Cuomo order. So she has been, you know, heartsick, bereft, heartbroken, and raging, and talking about why no one is talking about what happened here and and what can happen, and it's so terrible and everything. Um, and uh, Janice uh, brought this up again yesterday, and somebody inquired uh, of. Uh, Cuomo's press spokesman, uh, someone at uh, the Daily Mail, asked uh, Cuomo uh, one of his spoke- spokespeople, Richard Asiparty, um, to respond to uh, Janice saying that it is this is just another leadership failure from this governor. Um, and this is what Asiparty said: Every state has had issues with vaccine distribution because of lack of federal funds. But we're ramping up distribution and currently have administered more than 60% of the vaccines we have, which I believe is not true, by the way. Definitely
3: not. Okay. Definitely not. In New York City alone, Uh, as of yesterday, I'm looking at the numbers, (laughs) 303,000 some odd doses administered,
0: 40,000 of those are second shots. That's 38% of the total doses delivered today. Okay. And here's what he said. Last I checked, she's not a credible source on anything except maybe the weather. So this is how he talks, the, a public official in New York State talks about a person, a citizen, a taxpayer in New York State whose mother and father-in-law died of COVID as a result of the policies of his boss. She's not a credible source on anything. How about a credible source on death? How about a credible source on grief? How about a credible source on the disgusting con? How about a credible source uh, in 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 surfacing the disgusting, loathsome conduct of Flax, who will say anything and do anything to defend their shameless bosses? I, I mean, I, I am just, I am just. A, uh, beyond uh, beyond en- enraged about this. I mean, we've been talking about Cuomo for months and you know okay. his mountain chart and New York strong and publishing his book about how fantastically he defeated the coronavirus and mm-hmm. winning his stupid Emmy, his special Emmy for his uh, briefings. And that this should happen on January 14th while the coronavirus dosage administration uh, has been shown to be as great a failure as it's been. Uh, Somebody jump in so that I can. The national
3: political press has done New York a a profound disservice by slobbering all over this guy and creating a hagiographical portrait of his approach to coronavirus, which still persists to this day in in the statewide and according to polling. People still think the guy's done an incredibly competent job. Mountains of evidence, to the contrary, notwithstanding. And the lack of scrutiny that he's received allows him and his administration to behave this way, utterly bungle and mismanage this process to the detriment of the health and welfare of the citizens of New York, all to preserve a political narrative that was just beneficial in the moment because it created a juxtaposition to Donald Trump that they liked.
1: Well, and this is why it, it's interesting that the sort of conservative joke that's always made when there's some um, uh, bad news about how the virus is spreading in places like California, New York, and or, or about the vaccination process going awry there. The joke is, uh, how could Ron DeSantis do this? Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who actually has done a very good job in both controlling the virus virus, preventing it from spreading to places like nursing homes where the most vulnerable populations were, and getting the vaccine into people's arms. Um, Florida's doing a really good job. Um, But because he's a Republican, he cannot be allowed to be part of this narrative, which I think to go to an earlier point we were talking about with Biden and what Noah said, there's an opportunity here for Biden to kind of triangulate his own position and reputation about handling the virus by giving some even gentle criticism to some of these Democratic governors who've mismanaged and pointing out that his administration is not going to allow for hypocrisy among the uh, elected officials who say one thing and do another and for, you know, uh, bureaucratic mismanagement of the money he's he's calling for. And I I, I doubt he's going to take that opportunity. Part
2: of the issue here, it's not just um, the Democrats versus Republicans um, on 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 the pandemic. It's that For there to be an honest reckoning of what's gone on uh, state by state, people would have to face squarely the fact that lockdowns did not work the way that everyone hoped and wanted them to. Um, And we are now a year invested into lockdowns. And it would be very hard, or it is very hard, for people to acknowledge that um, in, for example, California, which has had the longest, most severe lockdowns, they've also had um, the the worst spike continuing spike uh, not even a spike it's just an ongoing um, wave in in cases um, and uh, in a place like Florida where you mo- can mostly use your own judgment as a citizen um, they haven't had that and we, we are it is very hard to look back on a year of those kind of restrictions we're very invested in in those um, to say uh, this might have all been not for nothing, but for something far less than than we had hoped.
3: We're just starting to see that, though. You know, A little bit. Andrew Cuomo in this State of the State address saying, listen, we have to open up. We have to open up sooner rather than later, because if we wait, there will be nothing left to open up.
1: Lori Lightfoot and, in and, Chicago. And, and
3: and Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot saying that it's, it's probably wise to reopen restaurants and bars and what have you to provide... People with an opportunity to gather in a space that has uh, protocols that are more stringent than private spaces, where this stuff where there is no protocols whatsoever, and everybody gathers and spreads the virus around. And then you know these lockdown enthusiasts who have spent the last year, you know, impugning the motives and character of anybody who said precisely that. Choke, you know, stroking their chin and going, "Well, oh, that's that's an interesting proposal.
0: Maybe there's a point there." Um, in um, California. In California, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, who is a doctor of nonsense, not a doctor (laughs) of medicine, is a doctor of crapola, who is the public health commissioner of of Los Angeles County, uh, announced uh, last week that everybody should wear a mask inside their own house. Um that everybody should wear a mask inside their own house. Now I I spoke I to I mean
1: sometimes a muzzle might be appropriate <laughs> if you have teenagers in the house. Like yes. there there we could start talking about
0: <laughs> well look.
3: But like I you, mean why not do why not just establish ridiculous circumstances that no one will ever meet and right. then you're you're no. absolved from blame because they didn't follow your recommendations. You need
0: to wear yeah you know hazmat you have, around if your house. You and have, if you live you. in a house with somebody who is terribly immunocompromised, somebody who is undergoing chemotherapy, somebody who is, you know, who is, uh, you know, has, has lupus, somebody who is in a position where um, any and every disease uh, is something that they might catch. The idea of living in a house with such a person would require you to wear or mean that you should wear a mask is absolutely true. Um, but that we should have come to this point in a place like California, which has had all these restrictions and is nonetheless now finding its emergency rooms um, overflowing, should raise a question about how the people who are coming up with these restrictions are coming up with them. Not by the way, and this is where it gets complicated, Abe. I mean, as you as you sort of hint at, but that doesn't mean that lockdowns are wrong or bad. I mean, it means that how uh, how they were structured and where the, what they targeted. Um, may not have done the job, and yet you know what happens is, um, uh, you know uh, that you then have somebody, you know, something happens, and you say it doesn't work, and then they say, "Well, do it twice as twice as hard." Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if it doesn't work, it's like you know, if you if you take a medication for something uh, that doesn't uh, ameliorate the symptoms, and and the advice of your doctor is that you should take uh, a double dose of it. And it actually doesn't ameliorate the symptoms. You're going to poison yourself without having any cure.
2: And, and I'm I don't. Not, yeah, go ahead. I don't, I don't pretend to know why exactly lockdowns haven't worked in the way that we had hoped they worked. I mean, you know, just in the, the broadest sense, the the understanding of the the germ theory of disease would would make you think that they would um, have have been more effective. But but there. Well, I don't but, know
0: that. I, I mean, the weird part is it's not clear that they're not effective in some gigantically broad brush sense, meaning in general, this disease apparently transmits most effectively in enclosed spaces where people are very close and are talking, yelling, singing, doing whatever they can so that their spittle is going and hitting a lot of other people. So that in general, social distancing, in general, not being in crowded spaces and doing things in crowded spaces, in general, ameliorates the danger of transmission. But does that then mean that you close down all restaurants? Does that mean that you close down all movie theaters? Or does it mean that social distancing works, that the six feet distance, or even if it's a 15 foot distance, if that's, you know, when when they start, rather than saying, you know what, we have to close everything down because we can't depend on people behaving properly or whatever, um, that's where you start getting into the weirdness. Not that that, uh, the extreme self-consciousness that has been imposed upon us. By this virus, how close we are to other people? Are we making other people nervous by being that close to them? Uh, do should we be masked just to make them more comfortable? All of that creates conditions under which the virus has transmitted less effectively uh, than in the past, and I think that's pretty clear in New York, in the sense which is that you know we're nowhere near the levels of of transmission and 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 and, and sickening than we were that 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 we were at. Uh, last spring. Uh, California is not in that position, but I can tell you that people in New York remain highly freaked out and no one's in Midtown. No one goes to concerts. No one's at rallies. No one's in rest, you know, all of that. And so, you know, there is, that is the evidence that a certain type of lockdown works. Not that closing restaurants works, but restaurants at half capacity may be just fine. Right, because they had the positivity rate of what was it less than one percent from restaurant transmission after I think the it was three months? Something, of, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and that's where you start having trade-offs also, which is so if you have a 1.7 positivity rate from restaurants, that's where you start going, okay, is that where – is is it do we need to be at zero or do we need to destroy the what small was business
3: sector? Stated logic for shuttering indoor dining again. What did he say very explicitly in no uncertain terms? It's not that this is really a a transmission vector. It's that this is what we can do.
2: Yeah. We can't do anything else. It's it's the one place we can
0: control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And schools, right? Literally. Same thing with schools. Right, right.
1: Same thing with schools.
0: Yeah. Where there is no transmission vector. And there has
1: been... Everybody wants theater. Right. That's what they
0: want. Well, everybody wants theater to happen to the other guy. You know, in other words, the the, the the fact that this is sort of a, a, a general theater means that you can be really upset that you're, you know, you can't see your, your parents or that you can, but you don't care that restaurants are closed because you don't go to restaurants. Or if your life revolves around socializing at restaurants, you care about that, but you actually can't stand your parents, so you don't mind not seeing them. I mean, who knows? Like, that that's part of the virtue of... Psychological virtue, or you know, uh, sort of uh, authoritarian virtue of doing something broad brush like this, is that uh, you get people who uh, are perfectly happy with some of it, but not all of it. But they're happier with the sum of it that they're that that is imposed than they're unhappy with the other part. As opposed to saying, well. I don't know, this may not be the proper function of government over a long period of time. I mean, I think it's pretty clear it's not the proper function of government over a long period of time in the absence of the sorts of things that Joe Biden, in theory, that the that the relief package that Joe Biden wants to pass uh, should do. But um, we can should, I, we can talk a little. Oh, go ahead.
2: I, I just, I, I'm sorry, but I have, I want to get one more ding in on Andrew Cuomo because uh, it's it's in keeping with the spirit of uh, what his flack said regarding Janice Dean um, and the thoughtlessness. Something that should have gotten so much more attention than it did uh, during Cuomo's disastrous reign um, was that when Republican-led states started seeing numbers rising, sometimes in conjunction with loosening lockdown, sometimes not really, he gloated. I mean, he literally gloated that is to my mind the most repulsive thing that any american leader could have done during this i mean the fact that, that that he wasn't called to account for that for 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 wild numbers arising at some point in florida for saying well this is you know this is this is what happens when you do it stupidly and in new york we do it smartly and that's not what what is that well,
0: among other things, it's car. You know, there's karmic retribution when you get yourself into the position that he is in now, where he is flailing around. You know, uh, trying to find some way out of the of the box that he's gotten himself into, and uh, re an opening um, opening large public works projects to distract from uh, this. You know, right. crucial failure in his in his administration. Now, with the change. In uh, administration and the uh, uh, kind of quite uh, radical difference in uh, economic and uh, fiscal policy uh, that we're going to see with a former chairman of the Fed serving as our Treasury Secretary, thus uh, hooking the Fed and and uh, and uh, American p- political economics closer together than they've ever been in a period when they've been uncustomarily close. It is really important for you guys to pay attention to the advice, thoughts, and guidance of the Bonson Group, today's second sponsor. The Bonson Group, a bi-coastal financial management and services firm with $2.6 billion under management, 27 people uh, who uh, analyze, uh, study, pay attention to, and dive deeply into the intersection of public policy and finance into the way in which monetary policy will affect your investments and how people should handle their money and into the, the nexus of uh, efforts to um, push political policy and how they affect not only markets, but individual businesses and individual companies as they seek to move forward. You can find their advice uh at the dctoday.com and weekly at dividendcafe.com dividendcafe.com is uh David Bonson's uh weekly analysis of the trends and and uh, and perspectives uh, that provided by the Bonson group which brings a kind of focus and seriousness to the financial investment and advice industry that you just don't get from other firms where uh they don't work as hard. Uh, they're not as interested. They don't know anything about the policies that uh, affect the way that uh, the way that the larger economy works. Um, and uh, don't just give you the kind of bang for your buck that the Bonson Group does. So check out DividendCafe.com, check out the DCToday.com, and check out our friends at the Bonson Group, and we thank them, as always, for sponsoring the Commentary Magazine podcast. So the Biden... Uh, There are two parts of the Biden speech. One was this uh, plan to help with COVID, and then the other is a kind of general financial recovery plan. Um, And uh, basically, uh, we are now moving into a kind of uh, government support for the economy without end. We're talking about uh, supplemental unemployment insurance from the federal government through September, this is um, January through September, uh, and enormous increases in the child uh, tax credit uh, and uh, various other things. Um, but a lot of money that's supposed to go from the federal government into state coffers to replenish state coffers. This is the desideratum of Democratic government, you know, Democratic Party state governors and governance, which have been looking to the federal government to bail them out based on their own incredibly, uh, you know, uh, spendthrifty behaviors uh, and the the behaviors of the politicians that preceded them, particularly in Illinois, but also in New York, also in California. Obviously, the larger your state is and the more um, the more a giveaway the governance is in the state, the uh, more likely you are to need money from the federal government to help you rather than make the hard choices that you need to make that other choice that other States might make um, not to take too much money from the taxpayers and either drive them to go somewhere else or retard the retard business and retard the approach of business. And the worst of these, as far as I can tell is the imposition of a federal minimum wage at $15 an hour Uh, in the middle of a uh, economic reversal where we're seeing uh, job losses going up. And all of that, this notion that uh, we're we're going to be told by the president of the United States that the minimum wage should be set at fifteen dollars, when you know if if we have an unemployment rate twice or more than twice what it what it ought to be in regular times, the last thing you want to do is impose this kind of burden. Uh, I don't really quite know what it means that the federal federal minimum wage is set at fifteen dollars, if that just uh, deals with the federal workforce, but. Um, in any case, it's it's uh, it's it's just uh, the minimum wage is terrible policy altogether. But you know, to impose it at a time of economic slowdown, when what you need is jobs, 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 and not more money going to people. You know, you need more people employed. Uh, not that people shouldn't make as much money as they can possibly make, but of course they're not making it because the market is pushing it there. They're making it by fiat from from the top down.
3: That's a complete non-starter, the 50 minimum wage, in good times, much less Mm. bad for Republicans. Uh, And I don't think you can get that through reconciliation, so you'd have to blow up the filibuster in order to get there. And I don't think there's enough Democrats on board to do that, particularly for for a proposal like this, which is a perennial proposal. So it seems like something that's on the table to be jettisoned in negotiations. What's really interesting and fun about this is the fact that nobody seems to want to acknowledge that Donald Trump has set the first chief priority for unified democratic government. And he did so in a snit. When he came up with this $2,000 personal check thing, he did so only to stick it to Mitch McConnell so that he could, he could undermine his own negotiations, his own treasury secretary's negotiations with Congress over this phase four relief proposal. And he came out after the deal had passed both chambers of Congress and said, no, it should be bigger, only to make Nish uh, McConnell uncomfortable. Democrats realized the opportunity there and rallied around it and successfully leveraged it, among other conditions, to win these two Georgia house races. So now they're pot committed to Donald Trump's proposal. with and. It, it's just it boggles the mind that the president who is so reviled right now is has established this this inviolable democratic objective which has to happen has to be passed so I mean that's maybe that's donald Trump's legacy
1: well there's also uh in terms of how uh, his own party is receiving uh, these proposals, there there have been a few interesting and excitable tweets by people who support universal basic income. And when they saw what Biden laid out, they were very excited. They're like, oh, we got our foot in the door. Let's make this a permanent thing. Let's let's make you know, don't end any of these things in September. Let's just keep going with this. We need universal basic income which was kind of, I mean, again, I think Noah's right. A lot of these things are going to be non-starters unless they want to blow up the filibuster. But I, I think there's a there's a fair amount of uh, signaling he's doing to economic progressives in his coalition with some of these proposals, even though I think he's going to be selling them as recovery for the whole country. Um, there's a little wink-wink uh, here and there to those folks, which we should keep an eye on.
0: Look, the best thing that could happen to the Republican Party as it reels from uh, the loss of independent support as the polls are showing now uh, as a result of uh, uh, Trump's behavior over the last two months, we have the Republican Party in the worst shape that it it has been since the uh, late 1960s, I think, something like that, or the mid-1960s, in terms of public public support because of the withdrawal of support from independents that uh, uh, Biden uh, keep proposing crazy uh, centralized economics because uh, it doesn't matter whether it passes or it doesn't pass. If those are considered mainstream proposals sort of like defunding the police you're just handing your the republican opposition issues to get back the people that it's losing now i understand the political needs that biden has and indeed the fact that people legitimately and genuinely think that in the middle of this uh crisis these these are uh i mean there are so serious uh, keynesian economists who think that if you throw this money at people, the poorer they are, the more they will spend it, the more they will revive, you know, as opposed to save it, the more they will revive, um, uh, they will revive the consumer economy with their spending and the, and the faster we'll, we'll get out of this. So that's not a, as opposed to the kind of relief uh, packages that were uh, structured uh, in 2008 and 2009, where uh, and this is part of the problem with the other part of the Biden stimulus going to states and uh, like that is that uh, all this money went to the states, and then the states used it to pay down their debt rather than to you know do the Keynesian thing of digging holes, you know the famous. It doesn't matter what you do with the money as long as you employ people with it. You can employ them to dig holes and it will have the necessary effect of of of, of, of economic stimulus. But that's not true with paying down your debts, which a lot of states had to do back then because that, their constitutions required it of them, that the first money that's used if the budgets go out of balance has to go to balancing the budget. And they didn't really have, because it was constitutional in the state constitution, they could not... Go against it, so um, there there's some merit to this idea. The sheer size of this program is kind of mind boggling, and as I say, politically, it could have the short term benefit of 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 pacifying and and and, and making it uh, making their pleasing to to the progressives who may feel left out of the game. Um, but you're also putting the Republican party, the normal Republican party. Not the Trumpian Republican, the normal Republican Party that responds to economic incentives and doesn't like centralized government and doesn't like high taxes and doesn't like too many regulations, you're bringing them back into the game at a point when they are clearly feeling very alienated from the GOP. They're very, you know, uh, the last two months, Noah, this is, you know, uh, when the election was over you, you know, and, uh, you know, the part of the thought was, my God, like the Republican party kind of dodged the worst of the bullets here. First of all, it looked like they were gonna, they were, the idea was that they would probably win the Georgia Senate runoff. So they would retain control of the Senate, but obviously the, the pickup of 11 house seats, uh, the shrinking of Nancy Pelosi's majority, the positions in the States and all of that meant that as, 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 as you said, and as I said, that, uh, that this seemed like an excision of Trump from political life, that Trump had lost, but that the party hadn't, and now after two and a half months of this, it's pretty clear the party is suffering pretty badly. At least in the, you know, at least it, at, at, at this moment in public opinion, this notion that you know Trump has now solidified his control over the Republican Party uh, with the behavior of the House and the Senate that may be true, but the Republican Party is a lot smaller than it was even two months ago, or the or the Republican Party and its up uh, uh, you know, party followers.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to minimize the the loss of any check on democratic governance at the federal level. That's a, a big loss. And it has everything to do with Donald Trump. He agitated for two months against his own party and its own members, and that had the desired effect. Um, but the calculation remains the same at the state level and in the house, and um know the extent to which republicans are still well positioned to recover in the next two cycles Um, but you know at the same time it's quite obvious that the party is beholden to donald trump because the polls suggest that the party's base voters are still beholden to donald trump but there's there has not been and isn't now an agenda there and there will be a democratic agenda that will they will have to obstruct and they will have to design a competing agenda And the president's personality cult, um, while it will loom large in the abstract, won't have the kind of animating force for Republicans that it did when he was the president of the United States. So Democrats could absolutely hasten a return to the mean by overreaching. And um, it will will no longer be a litmus test for Republican legislators to oppose that and to back Donald Trump at the same time or at least sort of not be vocally hostile towards him um and that will you know speed with varying degrees of alacrity the um flight of donald trump's presence from the political uh landscape and republicans will will benefit from that and they'll have a a much more uh, unified presence right now donald trump is still the president and right now donald trump Still exists as a litmus test for Republicans and Republican voters, but it's it's not going to be long before the focus turns to the Democratic agenda and stopping the Democratic agenda, and it's not about the cult of personality around Donald Trump, or at least not centrally.
0: Okay, but I'm going to make my fatal attraction analogy now, which is that uh, Trump uh, leaves the scene, leaves the presidency on the 20th of January. Um, Uh, and it's sort of like uh, the american political system had an affair with uh you know uh, with a thrillingly uh uh, dangerous person and has now gotten over the affair and has broken up with uh with its uh with the mistress uh and uh she's not going to be ignored you think you can just Do you think you just dump him? Well, first of all, you can't just dump him because he'll say that you're you're not allowed to, and then like storm the Capitol. But uh, you think that January twentieth means that that's the end of it? Uh, He's going to be coming back into your house and uh, and putting your uh, bunny rabbit in a pot of boiling water.
1: So one one, I I think that's not uh, an. uh... I think that's a that's a likely danger with Trump. Well I mean not it's not like literally
0: he's, a bunny. Right?
1: No, not literally, but like, you know, he's 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 clearly shown a, a willingness to to operate outside the norms, as we like to say. Um but there are two things that I think could uh change that. One is just time that and time where more and more people are getting vaccinated more of life is gradually returning to what things were like in what I some friends and I called the before times when you could remember doing regular things and there were sort of regular interactions with other human beings and even strangers who you weren't suspicious of and so that that is a gradual process and it's not something it is totally outside of the world of politics and policy in the sense that that's just a matter of mindset for people it's affected by policy decisions obviously so there's that. And then there's also the opportunity, and this will be uh, Republicans' great challenge, to find some leader that is able to navigate these very strange uh, post-Trump, the the post-Trump presidency year. Because I think there is right now a vacuum that Trump is eager to fill and that his lackeys are eager to fill. And the Republican base has become radicalized around Trump in a way that will take leadership. It's not enough for people like us to just be like, we all need to like calm down, everybody, you know, temperature check. You actually need a political leader who can speak to that group in a way that is very uh, clear about drawing uh, lines in the sand about this is, we don't do this, This what Trump did is not acceptable. And if there's gonna, if you're gonna stay in this party and in this tent, you know, so, I mean, that's again, I sound like a a Pollyanna, but, but that could be another scenario.
0: Okay, well, remember, look for the best, expect the worst. Have a great weekend. For Noah, Abe, and uh, Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.